And now we'll turn to Matthew chapter 5 for the gospel reading today. And when we started the church here, uh, which uh, for, as far as election is concerned, uh, starts with uh, the um, time of Advent and Christmas and then going on to Epiphany. And now we are uh, in this year in the gospel of Matthew. Uh, last week we were with the uh, prophecy in Matthew chapter 4, where we're, we were told that the one who would come, the one who would, who would be the God, who would be the, uh, the eternal father, the one who would be the mighty counselor, uh, the wonderful counselor, uh, that person would have ministry in the area of Galilee. And uh, he would be on the way of the sea, the road there. And, and this is where we find Jesus ministering in Matthew 5. So uh, picture him up on a mountainside and overlooking the Sea of Galilee, this lake that lies below, uh, this, where it's ringed by these uh, great hills or mountains. And here's where Jesus is teaching as he begins his ministry. A famous sermon that starts now with what we call the Beatitudes in Matthew uh, 5. And we uh, are starting the Sermon on the Mount, which concludes at the end of 7. So it spans Matthew 5, uh, 6, and 7. And so this is the sermon, this is the beginning of the sermon. Now, these 12 verses are called the Beatitudes. When I was uh, a young guy in, uh, back in junior high, a long, long time ago, you know, people get tired about hearing about long ago, but uh, in actual fact, and we'd go to church three or four hours a Sunday, and uh, we would have Sunday school, then church, and then later we would have Christian Endeavor and then evening church. Well, for our Christian Endeavor, at one point, we had to memorize the Beatitudes and write them out in the King James. So I actually memorized these and wrote them, and, and that was one of our, our evenings. Okay, get your pen out and write, write out the Beatitudes. So people did a lot of memorization back then. It was a good thing. It's good for us to do today. And, and the reason they were memorized because this is a very important part of God's Word. We, we read God's Word in Matthew 5. Now when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. The disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way, they persecute the prophets who were before you. Let's follow the reading from God's holy word. If you'd like to have your Bibles open for the 
Sermon today is Matthew 5, 1 to 12. Title of the sermon is Examination and Encouragement for Future Citizens of Heaven, and we will have prayer. Lord, you're the one who, in the time of chaos and darkness, the first day of creation said, let there be light, and we pray that you also would do this in our own souls, as you did in the soul of the man who would become the Apostle Paul. You would say, let there be light, and we would be able to see a wondrous things from your word that right now, we, before, we haven't seen. And we, we ask, Lord, that you would teach us, that you would, Lord, uh, address our needs today, our spiritual needs. Uh, we ask that we would be conscious of what uh, our, our Lord is teaching uh, for our benefit, uh, we ask, Lord, today that your spirit would work within us and pray that the preaching would be faithful. The end result would be that you would be our, our rock, our redeemer. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, recently in October, uh, a friend of mine passed away. Uh, one, uh, a person uh, that was uh, a member of our, our presbytery, uh, he was a, a, a well-known chaplain, and he actually preached here in his church uh, uh, maybe 2005 or so. And and he was uh, one of my one of the people in my life I looked up to. And as I as I think about his passing, I realize I don't have anybody like that right now. When I was in seminary, uh, there were a couple pastor professors. Not, not all the professors were pastors, but some of, them, some of them were also pastors, and uh, probably in the course of my, my time as a minister, I probably had five to seven people that I've looked up to and said, you know, I'd like to be like that person and, and follow after uh, their good examples. And uh, this man that recently uh, died, uh, he was in my, our presbytery, there were times when he actually had more faith than I did, more patience than I did, and I admired him for it. And I, I think in our passage today, what we have is, is, is a, a, a description of, of ideal, something we should aspire to, you know, something that, that, that we should want in our own life. And Jesus put this, this picture before us, so it's one that's very helpful. And, and what we have are descriptions of those who have been saved by grace. Uh, they're not how a person gets to heaven, okay? So you can't say, well, I'm going to get to heaven by uh, being poor in spirit, uh, by being meek. No, it's, it's like the fruit of the Spirit. It's the result of God's work in your life. And what we have here are the citizens of the kingdom of God being described. And so maybe at some point, like me, you memorize the Beatitudes, uh, but the reason they're, they're important to memorize is is they give us a unique worldview. And it shows us what is good in life. And a lot of times today I, I see people copying the wrong, uh, they have the wrong ideals. You know, they want to, uh, sometimes I see young ladies, you know, they like to be the, like the Kardashians. And to me, that's not the right model, okay? 
So, so here's, a, here's, here's a model that Jesus puts before us. Well, we should be like. And we have uh, in the Bible certain lists of, of things that God wants and he doesn't want. And, and I, I think of a list in Proverbs 6, uh, 16 and 17, where we have a, another list, uh, things that God hates. You know, God hates uh, uh, haughty eyes and a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood and and a man who stirs up trouble among brothers, you know, troublemaker, and so forth, and, and feet that rush in to do evil and so forth. Well, in these eight um, blessings here, we have uh, a, a model for us. And we have, uh, they're called Beatitudes because uh, it's a Latin word for blessing. And it's an encouragement for us. Okay, so here's what we want to shoot for because of the work of God in our life. And we have this pronouncement of blessedness. Now, the word blessing, uh, some translations use the word happy, but that really is just too shallow. Uh, blessed means something really good in your life. It's the idea that God has favored you, if you will. Uh, something really good has come your way. And, and it's like the, the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. Every time you see that word blessed or blessing, you know, look and see what it's about. Because something really good is there, is put before you. And it's a word found some 50 times in the New Testament. A very important word where God's given us direction. Okay, now uh, Psalm 1 and 2 are often called the gateway for the Psalms. Psalm 1 begins with the word blessing, and uh, Psalm 2, it ends with the thought of blessing. And Psalm 1, here, remember how it goes? Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. In other words, he doesn't run with the pagans that he thinks like them, and and associates with, with them to the point that that's, you know, how he views the world. But his delight, in contrast to that, is in the law of the Lord. It's, it's on the scriptures. And, 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 and he, he's like a tree planted by streams of water. So it's like what Jesus said at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. You know, the storms come, you know, the times of drought here for the tree, but the tree continues to be nourished by the stream. And so that's a blessing of the person who turns to God's word. In Psalms 2, after this picture of the kings and nations that are shaking their fist at God and treating his, his uh, commandments like shackles on prisoners that have to be thrown off, and God warns and he says, I'm going to set my king on my holy hill. I'm going to give him the nations, and he's going to rule with a rod of iron if you're going to go against him. That's a really poor thing to do, to stand against God, to fight against God. Uh, the Apostle Paul, when he was formerly called Saul, before he became a believer, that's what he did. He fought against God, and that sometimes describes our life. We look back and see, you know, our rebellion was actually fighting against God. And Psalm 2 ends with a blessing, and the blessing is to take, blessed are those who take refuge in God's anointed Son, and that's all believers, right? And when you do that, in Psalm 32 today, that assurance of pardon, 
uh, you're, you're blessed to have your sins forgiven. Your uh, sin's not, uh, blessed man who sinned, the Lord does not count against him. You know, they're covered up. They're done away because of the cross. Psalm 146 talks about don't trust, put your trust in the government. Don't put your trust in princes and mortal men. All these politicians that you can remember that are no longer on the scene and people trusted in them. And what happened? They all let you down. But blessed is the one, in contrast to that, Psalm 46, who's trusting the God of Jacob, who, 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 who created the heavens and the earth. Uh, that's a person who's going to have the blessings. Well, in Revelation, we have in that book where God reveals what must soon take place, we have seven or eight blessings, depending on how you count them. And it begins with a blessing to the one who reads the book and those who hear it. Uh, that's where the one or two are right there. The reader and the hearer, the one who listens. Uh, it ends with a blessing, chapter 22, 14, of the person, blesses the one who, who is able to enter the, the city of God, who's washed his robes. Well, that's a supreme blessing, isn't it? Supreme goodness to enter heaven, the city of heaven. We, we bring this out at a committal service in Revelation 14, 13. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Yes, of the Spirit, for their works will follow them. That's a very important word for us. And in Revelation, we have these seven or eight blessings. There's a promise in our Beatitudes here that Jesus speaks of a reward. Blessed are the poor in spirit, the first one in verse 3 for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And we have a similar expression here in uh, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we think of God's kingdom, God's rule, already in the hearts of his people, is present. God's kingdom is present. It's uh, blessed, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, the poor in heart. So Matthew tends to talk about the kingdom of God and use a substitute word, he uses heaven. Because the Jewish practice was to avoid saying the name of God. They never wanted to say it wrongly. They tended to not use it. Matthew, instead of talking about the kingdom of God like Mark does, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. And it's already here. The kingdom of God is already ruling in the hearts of people, but not yet. And so the middle verses talk about God's kingdom as mostly future. Now the other uh, portions here that I read, there's a future aspect to that also, but they, they also talk about it more in terms of the present. When we think about the kingdom of God, we think about God's rule, who's the king, it's Jesus, and uh, we, we can see this, kingdom, as people live their lives. Our Lord pronounces eight blessings to his followers, eight blessings on his followers in verses three to 11. And he begins with those who are poor. Uh, Luke has blessed are the poor and Matthew has blessed are the poor in spirit. Now those two sets of beatitudes may have been given at different times, I, I, I think they were. Uh, sometimes 
uh, we, uh, what we see here in Matthew's rendition of it, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Uh, we're talking about someone who is spiritually bankrupt. Without God's help, we're spiritually bankrupt. And we, we don't have anything in ourselves. And that's the Christian understanding of who we are in our natural state. And those who have that view of themselves, that they don't have anything on their own. We're told, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So what's the opposite of being spiritually poor? Well, the opposite is self-sufficient, where you go through life and you say, God, okay, I got this. Don't need to check in. I don't need to pray. Uh, I'm doing fine by myself. But the, those that are poor in spirit look to God. And sometimes being just poor can make people more aware of, of their needs. I, I recall coming back uh, from Jamaica after spending a couple weeks teaching a mission school there in the 80s. And, and these people didn't have anything. And that, yet they were so joyful. And they could go to work, uh, church. And I, I remember this guy praying been that thanking God that they had a day off from working in the fields that they could come and be in church. And, uh, you know, they, they were not self-sufficient people in the sense that they felt like they had it all. But oftentimes when people are materially blessed, they tend to go in that direction. But there's a, a blessing upon those who realize their need for God. Blessed are those who mourn. And that is uh, also for those who have suffered loss, but uh, primarily the, the mourning for sin, for the experience of repentance that God talks about in Isaiah 40, comfort my people, says your God. And to really understand the Christian faith, uh, Christians do not claim to be perfect. We don't think we're better than other people. We, we have this realization of sin. And, and so uh, there's a mourning over sin. Uh, there is a mourning experience of grief at the realization of rebellion against God. When you see that in the culture around us, it, you know, it grieves us as Christians. When we look at our own life and we see a rebellion against God, that grieves us as Christians. And there's a blessing on those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So the promise is mostly future, mostly future. They will be comforted. We have the third blessing given to those who are meek. Uh, well, uh, what's the opposite of mourning before we go on? The opposite of mourning would be uh, just to live your life uh, in terms of, of pleasure and, and uh, the idea of um, being very flippant about things that we see in our culture, um, living for uh, just what we consider the good things. We have the picture of those who are meek next, and the idea of having an attitude of humility, uh, the opposite of arrogance, of a sinful arrogance. And James 4, verse 6, we learn that God opposes the proud. And so people in their sinfulness, they tend to be arrogant. They tend to be prideful. And when you're, when you're proud, there's this promise that God opposes the proud. So if, you, if you're going to go around and be conceited, a lot of bad things are going to come your way. 
because God opposes the proud. But there's an invitation that Jesus gives in Matthew 11. It says, come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you'll find rest for your souls. So to be meek in the sense of being humble is to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And the promise is that we will inherit the earth. So we often think of uh, land and, 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 and um, being able to acquire things, needing a certain amount of aggressiveness and assertiveness, but here we have this picture of inheriting, uh, of being given the land. Psalm 37 talks about uh, the, the idea of the meek inheriting the land. Well, here uh, it's having to do with the promised land, heaven. And for those who have this characteristic in their life of being humble. And then we go on to the blessing of hungering and thirsting for righteousness for they will be filled. This desire to learn of, of God and the promises of being filled with the good things. What would be the opposite of hungry and thirsting for righteousness? Like, well, I don't need to know all that. I, I don't have any need for it. I don't want it. Uh, being satisfied with material possessions, uh, not wanting the things of God, just full of yourself, we have a blessing on those who are merciful. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. That's what we need from God. We need it from God and man. I, I need forgiveness from people close to me, from my church. I need uh, forgiveness from my fellow Christians. In Matthew 18, there's a parable of the unrighteous servant, the one who's been forgiven millions of dollars. And who's that? person picturing here, each one of us where God has forgiven us a lifetime of sin. And then in the parable, the person is called upon to forgive someone who owes him a few thousand dollars. But he says, no, I want my money. I'm not going to forgive. And, and God condemns that, that person and says, we have to forgive others from our hearts. And that's an important thought when we come to communion. And we look in our hearts and we say, I don't hate somebody, anybody. I, I don't withhold forgiveness from people. As God is showing mercy to me, as God has forgiven me, I'm willing to forgive others. And that needs to be there, and there's a blessing upon it. And we have a blessing on the pure in heart, in verse 8. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Now here we're talking about the inner person, uh, the mind, the will, and the emotions. And they need to be pure. And if they're not, we need to confess to God and, and to really take a good look at our hearts because Jeremiah says in chapter 17, verse 9, that the heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can understand it? And so our prayer must be from Psalm 51 Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Now that's a work of God, to clean up our hearts. And what's the blessing here? Look at this blessing, wonderful blessing. Blessed are pure in heart, for they will see God. There's a term in theology, it's called the beatific vision. Beatific vision, you know, what you see here, what... 
Well, what's the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life? Well, you can answer that in your own mind. What's the thing that you most desire to see sometime in the future? Well, you know what's put before us in the scripture? This blessing shows it. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Job 19, in the time of Job's great suffering, he was encouraged uh, in his suffering by this faith that he had. Oh, that my words were recorded, that they were inscribed in an iron tool and letter, engraved in rock forever. I know that my Redeemer lives, that in the end he will stand upon the earth, and after my skin has been destroyed, yet in my flesh I will see God. I myself will see him with my own eyes. My flesh, I will see God. I myself will see my own eyes, I and not another, how my heart yearns within me. Job, look forward to seeing God. 1 John 3, verse 2, we go to the New Testament. and told, you know, we're the children of God, but we're not like we're going to be. We're going to be changed. Our dear friends, now we are children of God. What we will be has not yet been made known, but we know when he appears we should be like him, for we shall see him as he is. We shall see him as he is. We shall see God. And if that's the case, you you don't want to have your heart full of all sorts of corrupt things. And so we start with our pilgrimage on this earth. We pray that the eyes of our hearts would be open. We, We pray that we would see God working already here. We would see God at work. And someday we'll see him as he reveals himself to us in heaven And those who are peacemakers are blessed next. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. And so we're told here in Romans 12, as far as is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with all men, everyone. In James 3, we're told to sow in peace. We're to take the seeds of peace and wherever there are problems, instead of fanning the flames, try to uh, sow in peace and have a harvest of righteousness. There's a blessing there for the peacemakers. And they will be called the sons of God. We have the next blessing of persecution. And notice how this blessing is is repeated, restated. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. You're blessed of God when people persecute you with words. They insult you. They falsely, and we're slandering, say all kinds of evil against you because of me, because you stood with Christ. And, and that'll happen at times. It's, it's, it has to happen. But when it does, don't be uh, downcast about it. But the blessing is repeated and expanded because persecution can be a difficult experience. That's what's normal. I remember early on where I clashed with somebody in the community and uh, this person called me up and threatened to, threatened to sue me. And just right after that happened, an elder uh, walked into my study and The whole experience is pretty fresh, and I told him about it. And he said, isn't it wonderful to be persecuted for Christ? And I said, no. You know, I didn't feel wonderful at all. You have to 
process it with faith, though, to be able to see beyond your feelings and, and to say, well, hey, you know what? This is how God's people have always been treated. Rejoice and be glad because this is the way they persecute, the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. And so here's, here's a model for the Christian life. Here are the ideals, if you were, if you would. It's, it's the idea of uh, that Jesus is putting before us a, a different worldview than we would naturally uh, come up with with our own common sense and instincts. Uh, the Beatitudes, Beatitudes show us how to live the Christian life. And it reveals the work of God in us. And so these God-given attitudes are to be evident to everyone. And today we had an examination. And in the areas that we fall short, we have to bring them to God. And say, Lord, help me. And bring, bring this trait uh, more and more uh, to, to life. Help me to, to deal with, with, with pride and corruption and hostility and so forth. Help me. Uh, to follow in the footsteps of Jesus. And in so doing, we take our eyes off ourselves and we look to Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your son. Uh, help us to, to look uh, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And uh, this is our comfort now as we celebrate communion, as we uh, remember that he is our sacrifice, that is through his body and blood, that offering uh, that once for all offering that we are acceptable before you. And we pray now for your, his work of grace in our hearts that all these things we have read about uh, would come to expression, that others would see it, and uh, there would be uh, a blessing, uh, God, your favor uh, upon us as we would see your work within us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.